Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Oh, hello. We've entered in through the calm. <laughs> oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Andy. Um, yeah, it's so good to see you. Our good friend Luis David is here. <laughs> we have one mic up here. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to pass it to David because we uh, we have um, we have a lot uh, to do today. Lots of great stuff. We have a couple of folks that are going to be sharing um, about uh, a recent experience that we've been offering uh, here through the church. Um, so we're going to quickly do some announcements and then and get get rolling here pretty fast. Uh, Vox Inners. Um, if you're looking for a chance to have dinner with each other and a number of us that open up our home throughout uh, the county, um, it'll be this week that uh, we'll be doing it for this month. We do them once a month on the third week of every month. And uh, you can still sign up at uh, voxoc.com. I'm doing that there. Uh, Blue Screen. So um, Blue Screen is a new program um, that we're doing here. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm waiting for like the PC message for like the Blue Screen of Death to basically happen right there, Gary. There it is. Um, and uh, stick around with us uh, today. It is the Thanksgiving season, so we have pumpkin pie for you guys uh, right after service. Get down on that. Um, love it. I'm so glad I've kind of transitioned out of keto because now I'm just like, oh, I can eat that. Mm. Still going to be a bad decision. Um, <laughs> um, and then off the top of my head... Those are those two. And then we, we just have others. So David's going to talk for a little bit. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. Truly, truly is good to see you guys this morning. Um, we want to let you know that uh, Vox is a place where you can come and feel safe wherever you are on your journey with Jesus, whether you're a Christ follower or not. This is a place for you to come and feel safe, to process, to listen, to ask questions, to text in questions. And I, wanna, I wanted to highlight, um, we have community pastors that stand over in this door, by that door, um, typically after communion, which I, th I heard we almost skipped communion last week. <laughs> but um, uh, Jonathan and Joanna Salt, if you guys want to raise your hand, they're, they're sitting over there. They're there for you uh, to process with you, to pray with you. So if after service or during service, you want to pull them aside and, and have a conversation about your faith, about questions on how the climate is in America today, they're there. And every Sunday, there's community pastors that are there to, uh, to pray with you and, and hold you up. And they're available during the week too. So if you ever need help or if you ever want to, if you ever want to pray with somebody or talk to somebody, email us at care at voxoc.com. We will connect you with a community pastor so that they can connect with you, pray with you, talk with you, and help you walk through this, this life. And um, they're amazing people. God has really gifted them and uh, allowed them to be part of this church. And we, we couldn't do it without them. So they're there for you guys. Also, um, we have a what we're calling a family business community meeting on December 11th. We would love for you guys to be there. December 9th. I am sorry. December 9th. 11.30 after the gathering. We're going to transition from this big room into a classroom because we want it to be a little more intimate as we talk about where we're at, where we're at financially. I'll be talking about uh, what the next six months of Vox looks like uh, as we kind of sense where God has taken us. So we would love for you guys to be part of that. It's not mandatory, so you don't have to be part of that. If you don't like those kind of meetings, you can go home and have lunch. But we're going to be meeting in one of the big classrooms after, and I'll be sharing all of this with you. So I encourage you guys to come, ask questions. Uh, all of our team will be there. Community pastors will be there. Um, we want you to be informed, but we also want you to kind of have a, a, a sense of where Vox is going and what, what's happening. And it's really exciting to see uh, what God is putting on our hearts for the community here. So uh, please feel free to belong. Feel free to ask questions. And we would love for you guys to be here on December 9th after, after Vox. Anything else? Uh, All right, Carrie, come on out. Good morning, guys. Have a great day. Yay. 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 Hi. Good morning. Our little Motley crew here. Just kidding. You guys are adorable. Um, hey, so a one more announcement I want to announce is that on um, 
November 27th. Am I getting that right for the grief workshop? Is that going to come up or is it not? Oh, there it is. Um, so one of the things that we do here at Vox, which has been really cool, I run an organization called Freedom Movement, and we provide resources for the church um, to be able to do like care workshops and process groups. And one of the things that Vox has said we want as a value is to be able to um, partner with Freedom Movement and offer these free workshops. So and we kind of went back and forth. Uh, what do we want to talk about going into the holidays? And one thing on the side that I sit on, which is a lot of coaching and counseling and process groups, is this is a tough time for people. Uh, maybe you're not personally experiencing it as a tough time, but the people in your life might be. And statistically, it's a very hard time for people. They're grieving a lot. The holidays bring up a lot. And so, hi, Susan. And um, so we wanted to create a space where, like, not only could we help you if you're um, maybe maybe struggling with some of the, the grief or the hardships of the holiday season um, or just in general, but really how do you sit with someone who is struggling as well and what kind of what are some things that we say and what's really going on in, in our brains when we're processing through grief and what does God have to say about that? So that is on the 27th. We do need you to sign up for it, not because it costs money, but I usually give handouts and it's so sad if you come and then you don't have a handout and then I'm sad for you. Um, so just sign Sign up. You can go to voxoc.com backslash workshops and sign up for that. We'd love to have you. One of the awesome things that you guys have been a part of is we started two process groups that ran eight weeks. Um, the women's ran nine because they needed one more day. And, uh, the, and the men's ran for eight weeks. And Vox, um, you guys decided, well, we decided, but we're thankful that you were a part of it, uh, to um, contribute financially to be able to allow and open up just to people here at Vox to be able to be a part of a process uh, group. And those have just ended. And so we wanted to share with you a little bit of the experience. Um, we'll do the um, share from the men's point of view, and then a couple weeks we'll share from the women's point of view. But I wanted to um, just let you know where your money is going and how it's affecting the people in this community and what transformation is looking like and happening. And also just to extend um, an invitation to you to maybe consider being a part of it. So I wanted to bring out Mario and Ken. They would come out. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> Because coming on stage is never easy. Um, so this is Ken and this is Mario. And they were a part of our men's process group um, called Bricklayers that Freedom Movement offers and Vox partnered with. And so I wanted to have them share a little bit about what their experience has been. So um, I told them ahead of time, like, here's three questions I'll ask you. So they are a little more prepared because getting on here up here, it's not the easiest thing to do. I love it. I'm like, why would not everybody want to come up here? But apparently not everybody wants to come up here. It's so weird. So um, my first question to you guys is, what were you kind of like before the group even started? What were your hesitations? If there was any, what were you kind of thinking before this whole group thing started? I know it got introduced to you, but what were you kind of thinking? So before um, I joined the process group, Vox made the announcement for a couple times and I was very skeptical. I was very hesitant. I was very skeptical. I had every excuse in the book not to join. I'm too busy. I don't want to sit around with a bunch of guys and talk about our feelings. <laughs> I don't want to join a group therapy session, whatever, whatever misconceptions I had of it. I was very hesitant, very skeptical to join. And I was just fighting it. I was fighting um, um, the desire to want to join. And um, God just was able to kind of soften my heart and I was able to kind of realize, you know, there's something missing and I think there might be something here. Hmm. Um, so I was opened, I was able to open myself up to joining and kind of taking that first step. That's great. All right. Um, I'm going to start off first by saying I think Jeff is here, Jeff Myers, who leads yeah. the group. So I just want to say, first of all, thank you for Jeff. Yay. Um, and, and the reason I wanted to say thank you is because like he saw a need and um, going through this group, I've, I am for him and I understand his, his desire for that. So thank you, Jeff, for taking the courage and the time to do this with us. And then secondly, thank you for Vox for actually believing in this because it has truly been transformative in all of our lives. And so I just want to say thank you before I say something else. So thank you, Vox, very much. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you guys know, I'm Carrie's husband. Um, but so it was kind of like, well, 
do I have to do it? And then she's like, no, <laughs> you don't have to do it. But I said, you know what? Like, I feel like I, I wanted to do it. And so um, I want to tell you guys that this was not me just having to do it and just like, okay, I have to do this thing. But I truly wanted to, to see what it was like because I had no idea what it was. I had a small conversation with Jeff. I'd hurt his heart. And I thought, you know what? Like, if there's a need that he's seen in the mm -hmm. church and in life and in um, the society, then like, you know what? I want to take that next step. And I don't know what it, what's going to happen or what it's all about, but I was willing to step in. So for me, and then I had a good conversation with Ken actually before the, the group started. And so I think together we were just like, you know what? We're both going to just step in and just jump in and see what happens. So... So while you guys were on this journey, one of the biggest things and values that not only Vox, but Freedom Movement has is that we would not sit in behavior modifications just to change the outward appearance, but really allow God to come in and heal what's going on inside. I'd love to hear from you guys kind of what your experience was while you were in it and how it affected you not only internally, but even just did it affect your life outside of the group? The best word that I can come up with um, would be just transformation. Um, what I was able to observe over the eight weeks um, with myself and with the the guys, the brothers that I was with, um, was just the transformed lives. We we talk all the time about Vox and and seeing people being transformed and hearing stories and what people are going through and being in process and to just be a part of something where you get to see people find peace, find healing, find hope, and um, to go through that together with other people um, was just amazing because I was finding it for myself, but it was so rewarding to be a part of it as you get to see other people experience that too and, and to see the healing that they were able to experience and just God's, God's love just everywhere. Mm. Um, it was so great. And then just realizing um, that emotions are not the enemy, to realize, um, you know, I've, I've been a guy who's been very closed off emotionally and, and, and just not wanted to deal with emotions and shut those things out and to realize um, that, that we do have emotional needs and it's okay. And, and as a man, that was, that was just refreshing to hear and, and to realize. Hmm. Um, all right, so two things. So one, so two parts of this um, group, there's like a teaching time and then a process group time. And, um, you know, eight weeks ago, I knew, I met some of these guys here before, but it was just surface level, very surfacey. But after these eight weeks, I'll tell you what, like those, we lowered the water levels, as Jeff would say, lower and lower. And then by the end of the eight weeks, you go, wow, like, it's amazing that you can actually connect with men on a deeper level and, and not be weird. Like, it was, like, truly, like, we, I don't even think we knew what happened. We were just, like, we, we had gotten to that point where we were, like, connecting and going really deep, but none of us felt weird. And so to me, like that was just a testament to the whole process. So uh, teaching um, was amazing. There's uh, one thing that just has been sticking with me and it's like a uh, very simple phrase. It's basically connect before correct. And it's just a little taste of like what we're learning about in that group and how connecting with somebody before correction or before um, trying to solve the problem. I mean, it will take, it will lower that water level immediately. And so for me, like that was one thing that I've been able to apply to my family, with my kids, my wife, but also like in the workplace. Um, and how does that, you know, how does that create safety for others when you're talking with them. And then the process group time was just, like I said, lowering the water levels, but we were literally like, to, for men to be as vulnerable as they were in this group, um, within eight weeks of knowing each other, um, I think that was a testament to like what God is doing here at Vox and what God is doing in our society. And so um, the process group time became very important and um, we were able to really connect with one another on pretty deep levels and actually not just connect, but actually support each other in everything that we're going through. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was like, it I opened my eyes to like the, the big need that we have mm -hmm. as men. And we are going to be offering this again. It will be running again um, coming January. We'll give you more information for those that come to the free workshop. Um, and then we'll obviously be um, announcing it here. But what would you just lastly, what would you guys say to somebody who might be on the fence about coming or, or joining something like this? What like little piece of advice would you want to give them or, or something you'd want to share with them? 
I would just highly encourage every every guy in here to consider consider joining. Um, consider opening up your heart uh, to what God might want to do um, and the way that he might want to move. And somebody said it in our last meeting, um, it's like this camaraderie that's formed. You're, you're like a band of brothers. It's like you've gone to war together and mm. you just have this, this fellowship, this, um, this connection with these guys that you'll be with. And it's, it's something that's very special and, and just amazing. Mm. Um, I would say the first thing is to like come up and talk to one of us. And I don't know how many of the guys are here today, but um, if you're here, um, I don't know if you would, would you feel comfortable raising your hand? If not, don't worry about well, it. I was but... going to have them stand okay. anyway. Hey, if they had to get on stage, you can stand and say we were in the group. <laughs> so would you stand up if you were in the men's group, just so that the people can see like there's, we aren't crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. And some of them aren't here today, but uh, just wanted you guys to see that you could come and chat. Thank you for standing. Yeah. I appreciate that. So I would say for the men, if you're wondering what this is all about and like kind of skeptical, like come talk to one of us. I mean, I think all of us would be willing to share a little bit of our experience and kind of give you some insight as to what's happening because um, we had the opportunity to do that before this group, just me and Ken. But if you guys have any questions, please talk to us. We'd love to, to share it with you. Mm -hmm. um, and then also I just think like for men, to be in a group and not be weird. For me, just saying that, I think is a testament. I don't think I really have to say much more than that because, um, so really reach out to us. Uh, Jeff Myers, I think is here today too. Where's Jeff? Yeah. Jeff's over there in the dark corner. So um, if you find him, ask questions, but li literally we, we want to be here for you guys and be open and, and mm -hmm. share our experience with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to thank you guys for sharing and being the brave trailblazers for coming into something. You know, I picked Ken and Mario to share, not because Mario is my husband, but because I know them. Um, I don't know Ken very well, but I know his temperament and I know the skepticism that they both had going into it. And I will tell you, I mean, I, I I don't know what it was like for Ken going home, but every night on Thursday nights, my husband would come home and just say, like, I don't understand why we why we aren't offered this more. Like, why is why are we not doing this? This is what church should look like. This is and it he's not my husband's not a very like emotional person. Um, he can't be and be married to me. So, you know, he's very even. Um, so for him to come home and want to talk about what's been going on, not so much with what was going on in the group, because that was private, but what it was bringing up in him, um, things were happening in his life that I've been praying for, for 15 years of being married to him. It's increased our communication. It's actually been a little hard because I'm used to being the talker and I'm used to him just listening. And boy, have that switched. Um, but I'm watching even in his, in his career, um, being able to be more confident in who he is. And so um, this is not just a testimony to Jeff and his vision, freedom movement and our vision, Vox and, and, and that vision. It's a testimony to really how God really designed us and how God designed the church. And you guys are doing it more than any other place. In fact, we're having a meeting with several churches in Orange County to talk with them about what we're doing here. And they're coming to hear about what Freedom Movement is doing and what we're offering because they're hearing about it. And, um, and so just thank you guys for bringing the being the trailblazers of that and getting up on stage and sharing. I sure appreciate it. Let's give them a applause. Okay, so you guys get a lot of me this morning. Um, it's good to be back. It's good to see all of you. Um, is I don't know if there's a way, and maybe Andy is hearing me talk, but is there any, mon we don't have monitors here where we could get a timer? <laughs> because I have no idea what time it is, and you guys know the Pentecostal Baptist in me, which don't go together. We'll preach until tomorrow. Um, so if it doesn't get up on there, if does somebody can somebody just tell me what time it is? Yeah. It's 1025 right now. Okay. Yeah. Could you just tell me when it's almost 11? Okay. Don't yell out. Yes. This is Lasan, everybody. Um, don't yell out. Just give me like a little wave. I'll see you because there's no one up here. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, I am so glad to be back. We are wrapping up our series in Acts. So if you've been coming quite regularly, you know that we've been going through a series of Acts, um, learning about uh, so many different things, but how the church was, you know, started out and how we kind of came to where we are today. A lot of supernatural things happening in Acts. Um, We have a main character that's kind of emerged. We do have Peter, but really this kind of new character that's come on the scene, Paul, who is um, just a bad dude, like a yucky guy, yet God transforms his heart and then he just becomes a zealot for Jesus. So he was a zealot for evil and then became a zealot for Jesus. And we, you know, if you remember when we talked about in Acts 9, um, how amazing it was that God actually had predestined Paul to be who he was before he was even born, yet um, Paul had just lost his way. He didn't know that he was supposed to be a part of the way. He didn't even know um, that, that God had this plan for him. So God didn't actually end up changing who Paul was. He changed his direction. So Paul was still a zealot, still crazy, still, still, still very passionate, still putting his foot in his mouth, but now he was just doing it for Jesus. Um, and so we kind of find ourselves near the end of Acts, and I am supposed to cover Acts 24 through 28. No way. It's not happening today. Um, so I'm reading through and just um, a one particular chapter kind of strikes me, um, not only because of what's kind of going on in our world, but what's going on in my own life personally and, and really what's going on in the lives of the people that I'm very close to right now. So I want to kind of set the scene for you here in Acts 27. We find Paul in about Acts 23. He is now in Jerusalem and he is um, being put on trial for crimes that he did not commit. And he is now going to be going through two years of sitting in prison because of the ridiculousness of the people who are in charge. Uh, Paul is going before leader after leader. One leader is finally, you know, abdicates the throne and, or, or steps down and, um, and now a new leader comes in. So now he has to plead his case again. And he's sitting in prison for two years. And, you know, for Paul, who is a go-getter and who's probably a little ADD because he's all over the place, which I appreciate, uh, you know, for sitting for two years has been challenging for his faith. This has been hard on him. This is testing so much of what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, he wants to get out there and go change the world. And he's stuck in a prison for crimes he didn't even commit. He has the Sanhedrins and the Pharisees, which remember I told you are just the religious idiots that um, have made everything up themselves and don't really hold true to scripture um, and don't, and you know, as much as they know scripture, they're completely blind to the truth of the scripture. And so they want to shut Paul down. In fact, they are plotting to assassinate him. He is constantly having his name drugged through the mud. So you can see that here we are. Paul is not in a good spot. He finally gets to the point where he realizes as a Roman citizen. He has been fighting his way. And now he says, look, I, as a Roman citizen, want to plead my case. I want to use my rights to be able to say, I want to go to Rome. I want to plead my case. So he have to do that because he's a Roman citizen. So they are now going to, as prisoners, have him take a voyage to get to Rome so that he can plead his case before Caesar. So here we find Paul. Paul is now uh, in chains, him, and we know that Luke is writing this gospel. And so we know that this is, uh, as, as Paul is getting to go in the beginning of Acts 27, it says that Paul is now going to get on this boat. He's also going to get on with Luke. It says, we are traveling. So this is Luke's firsthand account of what it's like. And it's actually one of the only full accounts that we have of what actual voyage was back there. We have bits and pieces of that, but this is a real eye-opening look at what it means to travel from one place to another. Now, you need to understand that they didn't have like cruise ships. You know, it wasn't like they got on and they were like, oh, here's my bunk. And then, you know, we're going to have lobster at 3 a.m. because you can eat anytime you want on this cruise. No, these are cargo ships. So in order for you to get somewhere, you got to get on a cargo ship. You're getting on a ship with seasoned you know, roughneck sailors. You're, you're going to be in really shoddy conditions because they don't care about you. You're a prisoner. And these guys are used to being on these cargo ships. We, we don't know exactly what this cargo was that was on, that he was getting on. 
But we do know that they got onto the ship, Luke and Paul and, so, and another prisoner that, um, that was actually following Paul as well. So this is a firsthand account. Now you need to understand, I was gonna do this whole map and I ran out of time, but um, here, here they're starting down here and they're going to be traveling all around. Now you need to understand, if, if where they are is here, they need to get all the way over here to Rome. And it's not like, you know, a jet boat. You know, it's a wooden vessel that they're getting in, a cargo shipped wooden vessel. So they get in the ship and they're traveling to all these places because they got to stop, they got to port, they got to hand things off and they get, and we're going to kind of catch up with them in, uh, in verse four. So Acts 27 verse four, um, and they think, oh, there we go. Oh, that's verse eight. Well, I'll just let you know. Maybe I told him verse eight. That's probably my fault. I'll just catch you up to speed. So let's just go to verse five. When he has sailed through the sea along the coast of Silica and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia in Lycia. And they are the centurion. The centurion is like kind of like they're like um, uh, they're in control. He's the boss over these prisoners. Uh, found another ship called the Alexandrian ship, and they were he- that was headed for Italy, so they put us aboard it. Now, we don't know exactly what kind of ship it is, but I think it's full of wheat um, because of what it says later, so they have to switch ships because it's such a scene, such a scene. Like, we just don't even think about this stuff, right? We're just like, I don't know, just go on a boat and go somewhere, fly somewhere, you know? It, but in order for Paul to say, I want to go to Rome, this was costly. So it was a big deal for him to go over there, and he's going as a prisoner. So verse 7, And when we set sail slowly for a good many days, it was with difficulty that we arrived at Nidus. Since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salome. So they were supposed to go to this one area. They couldn't because the winds were bad. So they have to go around this island to get over there. And they're having to navigate all this. And with difficulty, verse eight, we sailing past, we came to a certain place called Fairhaven near which the sea, which was the sea of Lycia. And when considerable time had passed, verse nine, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. Now you need to understand, this is when they're traveling. They are traveling. When it says the feast is over, they're traveling at fall time. And the winds are not for you at fall time. Okay, even if you go over there now and you take a cruise ship, during certain seasons, there are places where even if it's on the docket to go, many times they cannot go because the seas are too crazy because of the time of season. So Paul is like, hey, this is getting crazy. Now you need to understand, Paul has been shipped wrecked two other times. So he has some PTSD going on here. You know, he's like, guys, like, I don't feel right in my spirit. You ever had that where you're kind of like, I shouldn't get on this plane. And he's kind of like feeling that right now. And, and so he, he goes to the centurion and he's like, look, verse 10, he says to them, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only for this cargo. So he's appealing to their money, their pockets, right? And the ship, but also for our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than he was by Paul. And because the the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could just reach Phoenix and harbor of Crete, faithing southwest and northwest, we'd spend the winter there. So imagine this, by the way. They are, you know, we think about like, man, I got to do a 14-hour flight to Rome. This is like a long time, like a year to get to where they're going to go because they got to spend the winter. They can't continue on. This is going to take a long time. So something is so destined in Paul that he knows he needs to get there, but he also knows the reality that we're going to die. I got plans for my life. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to live here and they don't want to listen to him because he's Paul's prisoner. Who cares what he has to say, right? So they decide they're going to go, they're going to go on. Now, we call like hurricanes by, you know, men and women's names, Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Matthew and things like that. They didn't call this that. They didn't call it that. But we do know that they are about to encounter one of the most torrential storms that we will ever read about in scripture. And I just want our imagination to kind of be able to put ourselves in this situation. So here we are in verse 13. A moderate south wind comes up, supposing that they had gained their purpose. So now they're saying, oh, look, the winds have turned well for us. Let's continue on from from, uh, the havens and we're gonna go now to Phoenix because we have this great, you know, this nice little wind. And they gained anchor 
and began sailing along Crete close inshore. And here in verse 14 is where all hell breaks loose. Okay, now I want you to imagine, you know, like this, that movie, like The Perfect Storm. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but like, I don't see stuff like that. It gives me, I get anxiety. Like anytime you put me in space or like on a boat, I'm like, I can't breathe. I can't handle stuff like that. But I saw the preview and I, that was enough for me. And, but these like large, you know, winds. Now you need to understand, not only is this a wooden vessel, they don't have lights. They don't have GPS. They don't have anything. So when it says they are about to go into a storm called the Northeastern, this storm is on hurricane levels where they are peaking. These these waves are peaking up and down, crashing against this boat. They are so, these are seasoned sailors, but they are so completely torn up by this storm that they don't eat for two weeks. They are in this storm for two weeks. There is never light. You can't see stars. There's no sun. There's no moon. It is just wave after wave crashing against a wooden vessel. And all of them knowing we're surely going to die here. This is not just a little storm. This is hurricane levels. My husband and I went um, on our honeymoon We went on a little, like, go out to another island and snorkel kind of sailboat situation. And they, like, offer, like, free drinks and free food, but we're Christians, so we don't drink. And um, so, just kidding, just kidding. So, you know, people are, like, going out there, and they're having the drinks, and they're having the music, Calypso music's playing, and it's very delightful. We go out there and snorkel around, and then all the way back, people start to have their drinks. Well, it gets a little rocky. The boat gets a little rocky, and all of a sudden, Calypso music is not playing. Actually, it was still playing. It was like the Titanic. Like, it just kept playing. And I'm like, stop the music. Nobody cares. You know, but people are like throwing up. They are tripping out. And my husband and I, now you need to understand, I am very determined. So I'm like, I will not let this take me down. And we go and stand. You remember this? We go and stand on the side, like on the outside of the boat. And I'm holding on to one side, on the other. And he's behind me. And waves are just crashing our face. We're like, we got this, baby. He's like, we're not letting it get us. We're not letting And waves are just hitting us in our face. No joke. It's whacking us like crazy. And I am not going to throw up. And I am not going to give in. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You know, I'm thinking all the scriptures. I'm the vine, you're the branches. It doesn't mean anything. But I'm just quoting it. You know, just going crazy. I'm standing there like taking it all in. Let me tell you, this was in Hawaii. This is not a storm. <laughs> But it felt like a storm. We got off and we're just, we're drenched wet, just bathing suits twisted all kinds of ways, like just walking off. You know, my husband's like, we made it. People are just green. We never threw up though. I was like, we beat it. We beat the storm, you know? So when I'm thinking about this, I'm like, it was child's play when I was in. Child's play. We don't know nothing about this. We don't, unless you are a seasoned sailor and you've been on one of those documentaries that we watch where we're like, dang, dude, those people are hardcore. Like, we don't know anything about this. So I want you to understand what they are sitting in now for two weeks and how they will go to every length to try to save themselves. And I'm going to kind of talk through this pretty quickly because I I, I have a couple points I want to make. And like I said, I have no idea what time it is. So. Before very long, there's rushed down from the land a violent wind called the Northwestern and went, verse 15, and when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. And running under the shelter of a small island called Claudia, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. So they had this little tiny towboat that's in the back, you know, to try to escape. They got to pull that in. So they're like trying to pull that in, get the boat on top of there um, so that it doesn't weigh them down. And verse 17, and after they have hoisted this up, they use the support cables in undergirding the ship and fearing that they might, su- that they might uh, run aground of the shallows of Syrtis, that they let down the um, sea anchor and so let themselves be driven along. So they actually have to take these ropes. This is something that they would do to actually keep the boat together. They run the ropes underneath the boat to tie the boat together. I'm like, uh, just, just throw me over. Like, 
we should not have to tie our boat together to make it work. Like that's a problem, but that's, that's how bad this is. And that was something that was like a trick that they knew um, to be able to do. The next day, as we're being violently storm-tossed, they begin to jettison the cargo. So they start throwing the cargo overboard. It's weighing us down. Now, you have to understand, this is a pretty bad storm. This is lots of money for them. And at this point, it's like, we don't care. We're either going to die or we got to get rid of this cargo. So they start um, chucking the cargo over. And on the third day, they're only three days in. That's how bad the storm is, that they don't even know how long it's going to last. But it's been so bad for three days, they're willing to give up, you know, what would probably be for us millions of dollars. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. They're just like, get out, you know, we got to go, we got to live. And since neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing on us, from there, all of our hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. And you need to know in other scriptures or other references or translations that it says, we had lost all hope. Now I'm reading this and I'm kind of just like, you know, we can kind of read through this and like, yeah, whatever. But you need to understand like Paul Luke are sitting in there, and when he says, you know, Luke is writing this, he's not saying, we lost all hope, but Paul was in it. Paul was trusting God. You know, this is Luke's hero. He looks up to him. He's going to always paint Paul in the best light, but he's being straight real right now. Yeah, even Paul ain't got a glimmer in his eye. He's done. We have lost all hope. We're like a week in right now. We're about ready to die. We haven't seen the stars. We haven't seen the sun. We haven't seen anything. We're just crashing in, down on us, down on us, down on us. We have now lost all hope. We've done everything we can. And we know that we're probably going to die here. And when they had gone a long time without food, now you need to understand on verse 21, something happens and he'll tell us later, but, but I'll give you what happened. In the night, Paul is, you know, wherever he is on this ship. And an angel of the Lord comes and visits him. And he lets him know, look, you're on the right track. God's with you. None of you on here are going to die. You are going to get to land and you are going to lose your ship. Okay, great. <laughs> so Paul, you ever notice like sometimes, and this is just like a sidebar thing, but you ever notice that like God shows up at like the last minute. Like when you are out of hope, you are out of rope, you are out of food, you are out of all the things, and that's when God decides to show up. You're like, really good? Like he just like two weeks ago would have been nice. You know, Paul hasn't heard from God in about two years. You know, we think God's like always just popping in like, hey, me again. He's like, hey, what's up? No, it's not like that. It's like very infrequently that Paul hears from God. In fact, we know that Paul heard from God uh, in the beginning of um, his journey, this two-year journey, and then we know that we, he hears from him, you know, he sends an angel now. And I just think sometimes it's interesting that when we have lost all hope, when we are at the end of ourselves, if we are listening, I believe that, that God is speaking. And he comes and shares this with him, and now Paul stands up in verse 21 and says, men, now remember, set the scene. They're on the ship. Waves are coming in. It's getting tossed. So he's like, hey guys, I heard from my God. <laughs> and these are pagans. They don't serve Paul's God. They don't know Paul's God. They don't really care about Paul's God until now. So funny when we're encountering storms, how much we love God all of a sudden. Men, and I love this part because Paul is so my people. He goes, verse 21, men, you should have followed my advice <laughs> in the midst of the storm. Hey, I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. Okay, kind of know some things here. And I don't actually think that Paul's trying to be a jerk about it. I think he really wants to establish like, hey, I have authority. I need you to listen to me. You didn't listen to me before, but you need to listen to me now. I feel that way with my children. You know, hey, I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. So maybe you'll listen to me next time. And they don't. So <laughs> men, you should have followed my advice and not set sail for Crete and incurred this damage and loss. They're like, okay, great. Thank you. What else do you want to say? And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. 
For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Wait, the God of whom I belong and whom I serve. Not only do I belong to him, not only who am I his child, but I also serve him. And this is really important to remember when we go through the rest of this passage, because I think a lot of times we're fine with belonging to God, but we don't really want to serve him when the storms hit. So it's important to remember that not only is Paul identifying that I belong to God, but he's also saying in the midst of all of this, I serve him. And he looks at them and says, do not be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. Oh, he was, this is what angels was saying to him. Do not be afraid. You will stand before Caesar and behold, God granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, the angel says. Uh, then, then Paul says to them that the angel says, therefore, to keep up your courage, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. And here's another little side note. I just have so much to share with you and I just don't have enough time. But I think often in the midst of storms and chaos in our world, we are called to be an encourager. We are called to bring light. And often we get so fixated on our own storm that we see the storms around us and we want to have it and think that it's just going to take us out. When God is saying, I am with you and I am for you, not only do you belong to me, but you serve me. And in serving me, you need to be an encourager to those that don't know me because they don't have access to me like you do in the midst of the storm. They don't know me like you do. So you got to rise up and you got to speak truth so that they're going to be encouraged in this situation. I don't want to be encouraged. I just want you to encourage me. I don't want to be encouraged. But encouraging others, it keeps upon you blessing and protection and peace. Because this is what we are called to do is be peacemakers in the midst of the storms. Not peacemakers when it's easy. Who cares? Who cares? So Paul encourages these men who do not know God. He goes on to say, uh, verse 27, but on the 14th night had come as we were being driven by the Adriatic Sea at about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they are approaching some land and they took the surroundings and found it to be 20 fathoms and a little further or they looked the surrounding and found it to be 50 fathoms. So they're like seeing like, okay, we think whether we're coming up on land, but verse 29, fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. And as as the sailors were trying to escape. Now you need to understand there's a few sailors that got together that are like, look, who cares about this prisoner, Paul? Let's save our own lives. But God said, don't get off the boat. Stay on the boat. Stay in the storm. It's not time for you to run and do your own plan. It's not time for you to get off the boat and do your own plan. This going to preach. You know what I'm saying? It's not time for you to jump ship because the storm is too heavy. If I tell you to stay on the boat, not only do you belong to me, you got to serve. You got to stay. If I've asked you to stay, don't get off. Because he says, if someone gets off, you're going to die. You stay on, you're going to live. So these guys get together and they're like, who cares what Paul says? We're going to take matters into my own hands. But I love that Paul's a snitch. Because... Verse 31, Paul goes to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, yourselves cannot be saved. Look, my God has spoken. And then the soldiers decided to cut away the ropes like, hey, you're putting us in danger, you know, and those guys got busted. And until the day was about dawn, Paul was encouraging them to take some food. And he's like, look, we're going to have a big journey ahead of us. We know we're going to lose this ship, but we are not going to lose our lives. You guys haven't eaten in two weeks. You're going to need your strength. And I love this because Paul, in the midst of the storm, is an encourager to not only to be brave for them and to speak God's truth, but to encourage their eating. And he says, today is the 14th day that you have gone constantly watching and going without eating and have taken nothing. Verse 34. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from from your head of any of you shall per perish. And having said this, he took bread. It's almost like he does communion. He doesn't do communion, but he kind of does it. He breaks bread with these pagan 276 men are on this ship. And God is like, I will preserve you. You got to stay in the storm. And after having said this, he took the bread and gave thanks to his God in the presence of all. 
And he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged and then themselves also took food. And I don't have time to get into the rest of the story, but it's so good, you should really go read it. But the bottom line is, they start to get near land. And they're like, all right, we're gonna get near land. They don't know where they are. They don't know exactly what's happened. It's been two weeks. They're beat up. They are looking crazy, but they see some land. So they're like, put down the the anchors to slow them down so they don't run into the land. And they come in and they're like ready to go. And then the front of the bow crashes into, like the the sandbar that comes up, crashes into it and it starts to shatter the front of the boat. So Paul's like, all right, grab a piece of wood. We're swimming to shore. And here they swim to shore, and these gnarly, messed up, crazy sailors all land on the shore, just laid out, I'm sure praying to their gods. 276 men all all on a shore. And I'm looking at this story, and and it's just fascinating, because then Paul gets bit by a snake, and it's a whole thing. Like, Paul is like on, you know, he's in rough times. And God loves these sailors. In Acts 19, Paul addresses uh, something that I think is really interesting. Here is Paul at the height of his career, if you will, in Ephesus. He's doing exorcisms. He's healing people. He's going crazy. And uh, Acts 19, I think it should be on your screen. I think it's verse uh, 21. Now, Paul is standing there, and Luke actually, it's like, it's like kind of comes out of nowhere, verse 21. All these great things are happening, and then all of a sudden, boom, in his heart, he says, now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, this is all the way back in, in nine, chapter 19. And here's some things I want to, points I want to make for you guys. Here's the first point. I got a three-point sermon today. Hmm, very professional Christian of me. Life, if you are following Jesus, is full of storms. Now, here's the deal, and I'll get back to that verse in a second. If you are following Christ, you will encounter storms. And I want to identify the difference between hard times and storms. Because I think if anybody in this room were to say, yeah, I know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, love Jesus, but I'm going to have hard times. Like, you know, my husband might lose his job, but God will bless us and we'll eventually get one. But you don't expect that your husband's going to lose his job and he's not going to work for two years. Where's God in that? You know, we know we might get a diagnosis that we don't want, but we don't expect that we're not going to be healed from it. You know, we look at our life with Jesus and we think, well, if I came to love Jesus and I came to serve him, then I should encounter hard times because, you know, that's just life. But storms, that's not Jesus stuff. And the reality is, is it is in the storms that God does his deepest work in your life. Because I'll tell you, hard times, they don't change you. Hard times make you appreciate God. Storms transform you. So if you look back at some of the hardest times in your life, if you chose to stay on the boat and you chose to hear God in the midst of it, even though you were gnashing of your teeth, crying, thinking you're going to die, when all hope is lost and God shows up into the story, you know in that moment, if you can listen back or remember back, you felt the transformative work, the stuff that changes you from the inside out. You see, hard times are a good story. Storm times change you. But oftentimes as Christians, we have a misconception that storms are not for the Christians. Storms are for the people that don't know God. And that somehow God would never allow a storm to happen. And yet the reality is, I'd venture to say, most of us sitting here have been in a storm. That we understand that storm that makes us completely out of control, completely feel lost and hopeless. Where is God? I will tell you that some of the deepest storms in my life that I look back on, now in the midst of it, gut-wrenching. Looking back on it have shaped me to be who I am today. You see, I understand God on a deeper level. Do I want storms? Do I wish for storms? No, but they're there. 
and they're coming. So what are we going to do with it? Are you going to be like the sailors who try to find your own way and, and swim to shore? Even though God's saying, when you go and do that, you are left to your own devices and left to your own devices will bring death. But when you stay in the midst of the storm and understand that I'm with you in the boat, that I'm present with you, then I will give you the peace, no matter what, to withstand. You see, storms aren't supposed to take our children. Storms aren't supposed to take our life. Storms aren't supposed to radically, that's not what we think. We think that's not how it's supposed to be. And yet the reality is many people sitting in this room have encountered death at an early age, have, have experienced traumatic, traumatic issues. And so we wonder, God, what are you doing? He said, I never promised that there wouldn't be storms. What I do promise is in the midst of the storm, I will be with you, I will transform you, I will shape you, I will be with you. You see, Paul understands that God is with him. I think also storms oftentimes make us think we're on the wrong track. I must not have heard God right. Somehow I, I must not be hearing him right because why would this be happening to me? If I was in God's will, I should not be experiencing a storm. And I think that's going to be farther from the truth. That's why I wanted you to understand that Paul understood in Acts 19 that he purposed in his spirit. This wasn't something he just made up for himself. This was the Holy Spirit's telling him, this is the plan. This is where you're going to go. And even in Acts 23, verse 11, it's not on your screen, but I'll just read it to you quickly. In Acts 23, uh, verse 11, this is right before Paul is going to go into prison. Here he has been doing everything for the Lord, healing people, exorcisms, crazy stuff is going on, and now he's going to be falsely accused and imprisoned. And before he goes into prison, God, the Lord, shows up. It says, verse 11, but on the night immediately following the Lord, stood by his side and said, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed my cause at Jerusalem, you will witness in Rome. He wanted him to know, look, I know what's about to happen. And he didn't tell him because half the time, if we knew, we'd be like, and I'm out. <laughs> but he said, I want to let you know you're on the right track. Oftentimes we second guess how we hear God or what God's doing because the storm feels so great. The storm feels so lonely that we somehow think we've gotten off track. And exactly what God is saying, maybe right now, not that I'm an angel, but this word is a very word you need in the midst of your storm that says what God is doing in you, nothing else can do but through this storm. It is refining you. It is shaping you. Not only is it going to be used to help others, but it's being used to help you understand that I am with you, that you have not lost your mind, you have not lost your body, you have not lost your purpose. I am with you. And in this storm will produce in you a greater understanding of how much I love you and how much I'm for you. Storms force us to surrender. You want to know if you're in a storm or if you're in a hard time? You want to distinguish between the two? A hard time, you still got control. A storm, you're out of control. You can't do anything else. It is in the surrender that God is manifested as God. And I don't mean to be offensive, folks, because I do this myself, but I often think before the storm, in the hard times, we are just using God. But in the storm, we understand that we are now serving God. You see, oftentimes when we're in hard times, just fix it, God you know what? I'd love to come to you with my advisor. I do this with my financial advisor all the time. Carrie, you should say this. You should do this. I'm like, great ideas. I'll see if I do it because I really want a pair of shoes. And I take his advice or I don't. And I think we treat God like this. And I'm speaking to myself here because I think often we go, if you'll do this, God, I'll serve you. If you just make this happen, I am all in. Or if God gives us advice, we go, you know what? Good idea. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Oh, wait, I'm already talking to you. <laughs> and I'll decide whether or not I want to obey. But in a storm, you don't have those options. 
In a storm, you have two options. You stay on the boat and you surrender to God's will and his plan for your life, or you jump ship and you're left to your own devices. Surrender is, thank you, Lisanne, surrender is part, it's the very place that God does his deepest work in your life. I don't think that God is very interested in you serving, in in you asking for things from him. I think he's much more interested in you serving him rather than you using him. And I think for us, if you wanna be shaped, you wanna understand peace that surpasses all understanding, you need to understand two things, and I'll end with this. That when Acts 27, when Paul yells out, the angel of the Lord came and visited me, the one I belong to and the one I serve. And I think in America, we don't like this idea. We like God to be our puppet. We want him to do what we want him to do. We want it to be clean and put a bow on it. We want him to heal everything and fix everything because that's how we see fit. And yet God is saying, I am not here at your every little whim. I'm here to transform you because you need more freedom. You need to understand that I am with you in the storm because it is only in the storm, it is only in the storm that you will understand truly how much God is with you, how much he is for you, even if it doesn't work out the way you thought. Your life is not a game to God. It's not a joke. It's not a like back and forth of like, you know, let me just tell you what I want. And he goes, okay, we'll see. And you guys just have this fun little banter. This is serious stuff for God because he loves you so much. He wanted Paul to know you're on the right track, but you need to know deep, purposed in your spirit. Are you willing to surrender and get on your knees and serve me? For it is not, I do not live for my own purposes. I live to serve God. And it is in that that peace comes even if your body is never healed, even if your finances are never fixed, even if your home is not restored, even if you've lost everything, God is with you. And it is not for me to convince you of that. I think some of us in this room maybe have a choice to make because you've been, you've been putting the ropes over and the anchors over. You've been trying to find your own ways and figure it out because it's too hard instead of getting on your knees and going, I got nothing left. I surrender. Have your will because I belong to you and I choose to serve you. It is in those moments, it is in those moments that God goes, welcome home, sis. Welcome home, son. We're going to go to a time of communion And I just think coming to the table is really a place where we can come and go, Emmanuel, God be with us. I think having God be with us is a really beautiful Christmas statement. But God being with us means we need to embody the presence of Jesus, which means incredible sacrifice. I mean, it surely was for Mary as she carried the body of Jesus. Everything in her life, her beautiful little plan and her picket fence was completely messed up by carrying embodying Emmanuel, God being with her. I think if we want God to be with us, we need to understand that we have to embody him. We have to take him in. We have to belong to him, but also surrender. So as we come to the table and we take of these elements, I don't know where you'll come or what that will look like for you, but I know it's personal between you and God, not your neighbor chatting it up. It's really a personal space of going, I am either in the midst of the storm, I'm on the other side of the storm, how can I encourage in the storm? I don't know what God spoke to you today, but I'm sure he spoke to you. And come to this table and offer it as a place where, okay, God, even if I'm not in the midst of the storm, God is constantly asking for your surrender. It is in the surrender 
that peace comes. It is in the surrender that God is near. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for process. We thank you that even as we heard from the two gentlemen earlier that in the midst of our life and storms and pain, even pain from our past or even pain that we'll be in the future to be present in the middle of it all, allowing you to come in and binding together. This is where the presence of God comes. We thank you, God, that we have a space here where it's hard to hear this and and we have our own issues and our own fight and our own struggles and our own pain and it feels overwhelming and all hope feels lost, yet we are not alone. Even Paul lost all hope and it is there that you spoke and maybe this morning it was your word that had to speak to someone here who is still holding on with fear, who is still saying, I wanna go my way, I wanna do it my way. Can't I just do both? Can't I do mine and yours? And you are quietly in the presence of their heart saying, no, this is, comes from a place of surrender. Freedom comes through surrender because no one can touch you when you have surrendered to me. Nothing on this earth can take you out when I am with you. And I just pray, God, that you would minister in this moment, that you'd be present in this moment, that as we walk and partake of your elements, that we would remember Emmanuel, God with us. But when God is with us, you want to take full residence. So the things that are unhindering us, the anchors that are holding us, the ropes that are trying to bind us, you are saying, if I embody you, if I'm completely with you, then in the transformation of your heart, will only happen in this storm, then you must surrender. So I pray that you would come, God. Come in the fullness of who you are. Come in the grace of who you are. Come in the majesty of who you are. Let us bow our knee before the King and say, I belong to you and I choose to serve you. No matter if the waves come, no matter as I try to hold this ship together, I am choosing right now, today, to surrender before you because I have no other option. So do your will, refine me, grow me, because on the other side, of this, I will know my King, creator of the universe, far greater than I ever knew him before. This is not hard times, God. It is in the storms that you are most big. It is in the storms that I see my smallness. It is in the storms that you are near. So come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this room as we partake together. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I don't know where this message found you, but here's the deal. One thing about storms is God never intended you for, to do them alone. Paul had Luke, you have us. And God is present in the midst of his people. So when we talk about process groups, when we talk about prayer in the back corner, we don't do this because we're just checking a box. We do it because this is what church is supposed to look like. That storms are inevitable. You can clap for that because that's good. Because storms are inevitable. God is with you in it, but he chose his people to be there for each other, to weather them together, to manifest his glory and his presence in each and every one of you. So when one man is down, another man can say, I got you. When one woman is struggling, another woman can say, I'm right here. Here's the thing. I don't know where you are today. But you, my friend, are still breathing. You are still here. You are still here. And God is doing his work in your life, no matter how painful or how great. You are still here. So ask God this week, what do I need to surrender? Where do you want to go? In the dark and deep places of my heart, when I'm ready to jump ship, I want you to remember that crazy blonde chick on that stage on Sunday. You're still here, and there's purpose in the storm. It's refining you and shaping you, and you are not alone. And we're so glad you came. I want to pray over you if you'd stand with me. If you call Vox Church your home, 
and you want to continue making this a safe place to belong, to have people have community and be able to talk about hard things and to be able to help provide process groups for people. If you believe in that and you want to be a part of that, we do need you to participate financially towards that. Because all of this, you know, lights cost money. And so if this is your church home and you love what's happening here as much as I know you do, we would love for you to participate with us. You can do that online. You can also do that in the boxes that are in the back. But this is too special. So I do hope that you would prayerfully consider as maybe part of your surrender and sacrifice would be some of that cargo (laughs) that can go. I don't know. That was a good link. That's the best I could do. (laughs) I'm not great at the financial ask. Let me pray over you. God, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you. God, I just want to thank you, God. It it just, I feel so like I'm supposed to say this. I just want to thank you for Natalia, God. I want to thank you, God, for her presence here today. I want to thank you for her voice. But Lord, I thank you for her and Ronnie who have shared so openly their storm and where they've come and, and, and so many of us, God, could share our storm to not give glory and honor to what we've done, but to be a beacon of hope that says in the midst of the storm, God is working, he's transforming. So I thank you, God, for their bravery of sharing. I thank you, God, for Paul, that he continued and purposed in his heart to go where you had him go, and that he continued on being an encourager in the midst of the storm. But mostly, God, we're just thankful for your presence here. We thank you that for many of us, we are at the end. Our ropes are broken. Our anchors have been lost. We've done everything we can to try to stay afloat, and we just feel like we're drowning. It's the ninth hour. We're done. So I pray that your word this morning would speak to them that says, take courage. You're on the right track. I'm doing deep work, and I know it's painful, but I have not forgotten you. I have not left you. I am with you in the storm, and it is here that you and I will be closer than you ever imagined. I have opened up the heavens to speak to you today, even when you feel like you're drowning. So I pray protection over these men and women. I pray deepening, a deepening in their spirit towards you. I pray that they would not only belong to you, God, but that they would choose to say, I will serve you, God, no matter what, no matter where, no matter how it buffets my body, attacks my finances or affects my children, I will trust you in the storm and I will choose to surrender and serve you because it is in here that we will find true peace. Thank you, God. Be with them and bless them. In the name of Jesus, amen. We'll see you guys next week. It was great to be back. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.